0: Shalom and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from the deep desert of the Negev to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom and welcome to the Land of Israel Network. And shalom and welcome to um, a special show about Hanukkah that I'm recording right now in a ruin. A Byzantine ruin in the desert city of Shivta, which is uh, about 45 minutes drive from Zdei between Zdei and the border with the Sinai Desert. Um, So one of the reasons I'm out here is because I wanted to vacation a little bit with my family. And this is something that I do during Hanukkah, is that I uh, vacation. I like to take my family out somewhere to Eretz Yisrael and... I looked for some, uh, very, um, what's it called, uh, solitary places, kind of quiet places in the desert. Uh, for example, going to a lot is fabulous, but a lot of people go to a lot, uh, over this, uh, over this holiday, this, uh, Hanukkah season. Uh, but we wanted to go someplace a little bit more quiet. This is what I like to do with the, with the kids. I think it's really good for them in many ways. I think it's good for them to detach a little from the internet age and also to just feel the magic of the desert. What, what really is the magic of the desert? It's, uh, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible quietness and, 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 and solitariness, um, and this uh, is very much the opposite of kind of the world that we live in, which is fast and connected. It's disconnected. I, I still have some internet connectivity here, but definitely a weakened version of it. And the kids just uh, walk, uh, not only do they walk in the desert, but also in this this ruin. These ruins that I'm standing in right now, ruins of a giant uh, Byzantine city. And the kids just walking around, sensing archaeology, sensing the past. It's very important. That's another uh, kind of disconnect from our modern cities, but our, but a connection to uh, an ancient time, a different time, which is awesome for Hanukkah, because Hanukkah is really about kind of plugging into a different story that that is not the story that we have today, uh, and somehow heroism of the past that was quite heroic, really quite heroic. And, and walking in this Byzantine city, now the Byzantines are basically Roman Christians who rule out of Constantinople, and uh, between the years 300 and 600, this uh, uh, city flourished, and I'm telling you that I'm standing in the ruins of a gigantic city, which includes, by the way, three big churches, including one that's, that's partially really uh, standing there, and it's an incredible, huge thing. And around here is really nothing. And This is part of the spice route, and also part of the route coming from Sinai towards uh, Asia and from Egypt to towards, uh, you know, to Syria and to Asia uh, and, and into the desert and into Persia uh, and to the Persian Gulf. And all that was very important back then uh, until the Arab conquest in about the year 637. And basically, they cut off the connection between this place and the Byzantine Empire. And that was it. And, it's, and it was over. And this place is just a massive city in the middle of the desert, and uh, and yet it's in complete and utter ruins, and there's barely nary a thing around here. Uh, and archaeologists are still digging out. As we speak, I see even in the distance the archaeologists working. Um, the Byzantines take over for the Romans, and the Romans, they take over for the Greeks, and the Syrian Greeks is really the story of, of Hanukkah. And I, I wanted to make a few comments on the story of Hanukkah. First thing, lighting the Hanukkah candles together uh, with the children someplace quiet is... Um there's something very special about it. You know, I like the idea of the presents and all the stuff that, you know, the American Jewish tradition of kind of uh, canceling out Christmas by giving uh, a Hanukkah presents. That's fine. That's all good. And there's and my wife, she loves to decorate the malka. She loves to decorate the, the, the house for Hanukkah. And it's got the dreidels and it's got the menorahs and it's got all the, all the stuff. But there's also, beyond the, uh, beyond the kind of fun part of Hanukkah, there's also a real story of, of heroism, of incredible proportion, and also of, of a situation that, that the, the nation of Israel was really down. You know, uh, Rabbi Beryl Wein, who, who we have, if you haven't heard his history lectures, I highly recommend it. Um, There's really three great historical English lectures, series. I think uh, there's uh, Rabbi Berylwein is the original and wonderful stuff. And then there is Rabbi Przansky, who I played for you uh, two weeks ago. And then our own Rabbi Mike Foyer with his uh, new uh, Jewish story. There's a jet flying overhead. Maybe you can hear it, by the way. And, uh, you know, one of the things that Rabbi Berylwein talks about is that the Jewish people... uh, The only time that they really are in danger of being swallowed up by a host culture is when they see that host culture as being superior. And that is not something that they felt towards the Persians. And it's not really what we feel towards the Arabs today as well, right? There's Arabs all around us, but somehow we don't see ourselves as really part of their world, even though, you know, I've stressed many times that it's important to feel Middle Eastern. But somehow we really aren't part of the Arab world. And in well, some ways, we it's because, and I'm just being frank here, it's because we see their culture as being inferior to our culture. And so we're not as ma- magnetized to it. But the Greek culture at the time was an incredible progressive culture. And in many ways, the Jewish people were just enamored by it. Um, they were enamored by the, by the poetry and the philosophy, the mathematics, and the, the physical pleasures, and the physical un, uh, lack of restraint that, uh, that uh, the uh, Gre- Greek world gave rise to. And it was so, such a state of affairs that the Jewish people really were about to succumb totally to hellenization, and the Hellenists were societally uh, on top okay and many much of the aristocracy the elite the cultural elite were um, were Hele- became hellenized and It was at this moment that uh, that really all is, all was lost, all was lost the temple Mount who the aristocracy and the Koanim were kind of in charge of, became a Hellenist site. And, and all, the, all the cool people were doing Hellenism. And rose up this, this band of, uh, of brothers who, who were cool enough and mighty enough and courageous enough to A, take on the armies of the Syrian Greeks, the Seleucids, and cleanse out their cultural um, their cultural dominance, and instill Jewish sovereignty as an idea back into, back into the, the controlling cultural paradigm. And the, the miracle is, uh, is many fold. I think and I'm trying to, to kind of describe it to you in, in many ways. First thing it's just to be to be that cool, to be that, that attractive, to to beat out the, uh, the 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 attractive culture of the Greeks, and then to beat them militarily, and then to and then to bring back the idea of a sovereign Jewish state. And it's not a coincidence that the early Zionists looked at the Maccabees as their role models, because it was almost um, there was an element of that was like unimaginable. It looked so far, so deep, uh, gone, so deep that it had gone the other way. You know, there is a, there is a basic connection between Purim, the story of Purim, which is earlier uh, than uh, than uh, much earlier than the story of Hanukkah. And it's under the Persians, and the 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 situation there was was in, in in some ways even more dire because that was even not about not in the land of Israel and the Jewish people, including the aristocracy, again, uh, uh, kind of forfeited the, the the Jewish idea and started becoming enamored and attracted and ate. That's the that's the kind of metaphor of eating from the feast of the of uh, uh, of of Ahasuerus. Of Ahasuerus. Um, they had succumbed to the reality of living in a in a foreign land, and that they were subjects of it, and that they had to adopt its cultural norms. But in but in and in many ways, that was more dangerous than the uh, Hanukkah tale because because there they were uh, first they were assimilating, and then after uh, after kind of this, not not everybody assimilating, then they were under the pain of of a physical annihilation. So in, in some ways, uh, the story of, of Purim is a, is a greater miracle that they were able to overcome these two forces. But the story of Hanukkah was, was that of the return of Jewish sovereignty into Jewish hands, um, and the fight for the land of Israel, for the control of the land of Israel. I guess the underlying uh, the underlying theme that that really permeates both of those is the both of those stories is assimilation is assimilation and battle both of those things assimilation cultural right cultural separateness of of the jewish people while still being able to accept but not indulge accept and not indulge certain smart things that came out from foreign cultures. If it's going to be the 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 Romans or the Greeks later, the later the Romans, but the Greeks. Uh, it's the ability to still assimilate good knowledges, but at the same time to to keep culturally apart, to keep to keep, um, uh, maritally apart, familially, tribally apart. Uh, the and the victory of our culture as a, as a as the dominant culture for us for our people. Uh, that was th- that, th- th- That's true in both of those stories And the other thing is, is prowess, military prowess And the military prowess of the Maccabees is, is greater than the story of Hanukkah uh, Than the story of Purim But still though, it, there's an element there Which is you sometimes, as, as the old song says Sometimes you have to fight when you're a man, right? Kenny Loggins, Kenny Rogers, excuse me Kenny Rogers' famous uh, uh, story about the coward of the county, right? Sometimes you have to fight when you're a man and that is what the uh, the Jewish people had to endure and, and, and to kind of show their mettle both in, in cultural superiority and both in military prowess in both of those occasions. And, and we remember the miracle. And it was Rabbi Chaim Richman who, who told me one time a thought that, that kind of never left me about Hanukkah. He said, what's the miracle of Hanukkah? The miracle of Hanukkah is not the, the lamp of oil that lasted seven days. The miracle of Hanukkah is that a family rose up and, and were were courageous. Were courageous enough not just to fight the enemy, the foreigners, but also to fight the cultural assimilation within our land. They were, they had to fight the, the Jewish elite. And that was not simple. That was not simple. And that's the miracle. So what about the miracle of the oil? Well, the miracle of the oil is a little bit more kind of a question mark. And, and uh, in, in the Jerusalem Talmud, it's not written. But in the Babylonian Talmud, it is written. So what's the story about the oil? So I heard Rabbi, Rabbi um, Melamed wants to say... Um, uh, Rabbi Malamed, Rabbi Zalman Malamed the elder of Beit El he said something very profound he said the, the real story of the miracle of the oil was that the miracle of the oil proved that God was with them because there were even rabbis at the time Who were against the Maccabees And saw them just like they were against Mordechai in the Persian story They thought that, that the Maccabees were endangering them Why, why make a fight against the, against the Greeks They were never going to win You're just going to endanger everybody Etc. that way of thinking and there were many against the Maccabees but when the Maccabees had the miracle of the oil it was um, it was a the signature, the hand of God that it said to them, indeed God is with you, God is with you and I, this is a godly endeavor so it was a kind of proof, so that's really the the miracle of the oil is there to kind of give you a thumbs up, an approbation um, of of God's hand in this story So here I am right now, and I'm kind of pacing back and forth, literally within these Byzantine ruins. I'm really by myself. I look out in this uh, large uh, swath of ruins, and then behind it, long desert. And to my southwest, I could see towards the Sinai Desert. And I long for the day that the Sinai will be part of Israel again. What a... um, I'm one of those people, one of those few people, who believes that the Sinai giveaway to Egypt was an incredibly mistaken, incredibly mistaken piece of policy, uh, the likes of which we are still suffering for the... the the What's the word I'm looking for here? Where's a person to help me find the word I'm looking for when I need it right now, here in this desert, in these Byzantine ruins? Uh, the... Uh, no. How do we call it? The... What has come from uh, the aftershocks, the results of which we're still feeling today, and that is the idea of land giveaway and a smaller, shrunken Israel, that somehow that is a, uh, a good result. That is not a good result. The idea that we gave away land to Egypt that we won almost thrice two and a half times really in 56 and 67 and parts of 48 as well and so we won in those wars this this landmass in a big robust strong israel is one that sends a signal to the world which is that israel is big israel's is here to stay and the minute that that land was given away there was a new window that opened up, which is the diplomatic and and other windows, but which can shrink Israel to the point of her destruction. And that was a big mistake. And I'm looking out at the Sinai Desert, and I look longingly to it, and I remember how my parents used to take me uh, so often, twice a year, to hang out in the desert Sinai. And maybe that's why I bring my kids out here to the Negev. By the way, if you look at the map, the Sinai is nothing but the, the... the Negev is nothing but the extension of the Sinai it's it's really the same landmass the the map that we're so used to thinking about what it, what, what the size of Israel is it's a, a kind of an absurd map if you look at this there's no natural division between the Sinai and the Negev desert there's no natural division at all it's really part and parcel of the same landmass uh but let me get to another uh, part of this very uh, thing that I'm telling you about the Sinai which is that the enemies of Israel today are Searching for a way to destroy us yet again, and they will always continue to, to, to do that because because that is their want. Okay, they are against. There, there's something called anti-Semitism. I don't like that word. I, I think it's I think it's um, it's just not a great word. It's and it's become it's become kind of uh, hollow and not hallow. Okay, and the reason I don't like that is because it's just it does not clear about what the real issue is. The, the real underlying theme of anti-Semitism is that the Jewish people represent a certain kind of light in this world, and the enemies of of Israel are either jealous of that light or want to put out that light and and recognize as as Hitler so eloquently said that, that the Jewish people are the conscious uh, the conscience of the world, and he want to rid the rid the world of that that light of of God in this world, okay? so, The enemies of Israel have gone back to the drawing board after the colossal military failures of the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. And they've come to new conclusions. And the one that we are facing right now in this generation is the delegitimization campaign. Now, don't misunderstand. There are bullets and rockets right behind the initial front of delegitimization. What do I mean by that? I mean, you know, before the infantry goes into, into any field of battle, the artillery is what uh, softens the target, right? Uh, so you bombard with artillery cannons uh, for a few days, and then you send in uh, the, the infantry to mop up what's left. And today's, today's cannons are the delegitimization campaign. And it is absolutely imperative that we understand that. That that's that's what we're facing. And the way, there's a few different ways how delegitimization works, but I want to talk about one today specifically because I want to get to the Airbnb case. And that is, one of the ways that delegitimization works is that it is an effort to divide amongst the Jewish people. If the military efforts against us were ones that... Wanted to destroy the Jewish people en masse and to wipe us out. Well, it had the unfortunate, for the enemy, unfortunate uh, reaction that it united all of us together. It just brought us together. These big uh, wars or, or or annihilation campaigns remind us that we're all Jews. No matter what we wear in our head or matter what faith we have in our heart, in the end uh, they want to destroy us together and it brings us together. Well, the enemies have realized that bringing us together is a unintended consequence of their warfare and it causes them to lose. So they have uh, uh embarked on a new effort and that effort is to divide between the Jewish people. So here's what the enemy says. It's, it says something like this. It says, "Uh, I don't hate Jews. I only hate Israel. I'm only against Zionism in Israel. Oh, I'm not against Israel. I'm only against the settlements." I'm not against the settlements. I'm only against the settlers who are the extreme ones and the, uh, the outposts. Okay, I can accept that there's uh, Jews in, in settlement blocks, but uh, I only want to, to see uh, uh, you know, Israel to be its right size to the, um, to the, uh, to the 1967 borders, etc., etc. These are all just efforts to try to divide amongst Jews. And what Jews make a giant mistake... Is that we we accept these divisions and, and be like oh the the goyim they're going to like us if if we just accept that it's not it they're not against Israel they're just against the settlements etc. So the the truth is is that uh, these are uh, very in my mind see through but I see other people don't see that it's a see through effort to divide amongst the Jews and to weaken us by really pinning ourselves against one another. And um, this uh, at the beginning of this week, I wrote I wrote I wrote an article which Shemaka helped me edit and uh, sent it in the middle of the kind of late night sent it to the Forward, which is a newspaper that prints a lot of horrible anti-Hevron uh, and anti-Jewish uh, communities of Judea and Samaria articles, but at the same time, uh, I thought that my message would get out there. And also, um, I guess that's where the conversation is happening. So, I so I wanted to have that conversation about these specific issues. And I wrote that uh, there's there's something a little bit funny about the Airbnb, um, uh, the Airbnb delisting, and what I really want to call it, I want to call it deplatforming of the Jews of Judea and Samaria. If you didn't hear, then uh, Airbnb announced the policy where it would get, where it would basically boycott. The Jews of Judea and Samaria, and the Israeli government and Israeli organ- Jewish organizations throughout the world, all very rightfully said this is discrimination. It was pointed out how how that their policies, uh, this kind of policy of uh, not wanting to support human suffering in an area, is something that is not across the board. That this was very uh, localized. Against Jews, against Israel, against the settlers, against the settlements, and it was pointed out uh, how how egregiously unjust this policy is. But what my article pointed out is, hey, Jewish organizations, APAC federations, uh, Birthright, it's it's cute that you're, uh, it's nice, it's right that you're that you're complaining against this this policy, but. Let's be real. That's your policy. You Jewish organizations are the ones that don't come to Judea and Samaria, don't send your money to Judea and Samaria, uh, and have uh, um, uh, basically created the policy of boycott against against the, the quote-unquote West Bank yourselves. And so the... Uh, the airbnbs of the world look at uh how the jewish people are treating and they're seeing that you are falling for these for these divisions and they could uh they could they could um press that button and legitimately le- legitimately look at you and say hey isn't that what you do so uh, that is um uh, a situ- that is what i wrote and it 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 this article actually took off. A lot of people saw it. A lot of higher ups saw it. There was some kind of basic truth in that article, I think, that really touched people. Which is like, hey, how you know we 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 don't want people to d- divide between us and boycott against us. When they do it, we see it, but but we don't see that that mirror <coughs> is being held up to our face. And I think this article just held up a mirror. Just held up a mirror and said, hey, this is our policy, guys. Okay. And uh, what's the recommendation? Well. I didn't write so much what the recommendation was. I said, of course, you know, let, let us let us stop boycotting ourselves. And the uh, ultra-left uh, wrote in all kinds of tweets and, and Facebook pages, writing articles saying, or writing uh, comments saying, you see, now the right wing is using the Airbnb boycott to legitimize the settlements, which is fine, that's exactly the truth. Uh, but then other people wrote to me and said, Isha, you know, it's it's really the other way, which is, Which is that what you're saying is, is that Airbnb has every right to boycott and you're legitimizing them by showing them that that's actually the policy of the Jewish people, which is which both of those are correct. Both of those are correct. Both of those are correct. What's the answer, friends? The answer is actually quite simple. And I think it was the king of Denmark who taught it to us during the Holocaust, uh, when uh, the Nazis asked for the king of Denmark to To take out all the uh, Danish Jews, to to kind of uh, extradite them for the Nazis, he basically put on a Jewish star and said, "I'm I'm with these Jews. These they, we are all Jews. We are with all these Danish citizens are are we're all Danes and we're all Jews today. So you're gonna have to kill us all." And that kind of courageous, that kind of courageous unity. Is exactly what's needed. When the Europeans come out and say, when the Europeans come out and say, we want you to mark all of your, we want to mark all of your packages coming out of Judea and Samaria, all of your parcels or or products coming out of Judea and Samaria, we want to mark them West Bank. So the answer is, fine, do so. But just so you know, all of our products from Israel are now going to be marked uh, West Bank. All right? We're all putting on the yellow star if that's what you want from us. Uh, That's one way of doing it. Another way, for example, for, so for Airbnb, imagine if the state of Israel said, you know what, every single one of our uh, listings, 22,000 listings, is actually West Bank. Alright? That's the way we think of it. Or, hey Airbnb, you want to split between us? You want to sp- split between the Jews and, and, of the West Bank and the rest of Israel? No problem, we're going to split between you and the rest of us, in, in the sense that we're going to block Airbnb from being used in Israel. We don't need your kind here. Okay? We don't need the anti-Semites. We don't need the dividers. And we'll use booking.com or whatever it is. We're just going to push back hard. Uh, so that, that is another way to do it. And another way to do it is for the Israeli government to announce a policy saying, listen, Judea and Samaria are Israeli territories. It's just that simple. These are territories of Israel. Okay, these are territories of Israel, and, and yet we haven't annexed them, but we're not rejecting them, and we're going to annex them one day, and we're working on it. And that's the truth. There's no difference between Judea and Samaria and the rest of the country. Maybe there's some legal differences, but those are, those are because of technical problems, but we are working on it, and that's the direction. And hello, everybody, here's the notice, this is what we're going to do. Uh, these are just some of the suggestions, but it's all very simple. We have to show Unity. We have to not allow ourselves to be divided between these things. Not to mention that this is the ancestral homeland. This is the essential ancestral homeland Judea and Samaria. And and I I, want to kind of uh, uh, start closing off my talk with you today by just saying that Rav Silavitchuk says something that is of incredible importance, I think. He said, said, when you want to know what the mitzvah of the generation is, look to those Gentiles that want to stop you, that are fighting against you, and see what their focus is. Whatever their focus is, is probably the mitzvah of the generation. And he was talking about the land of Israel and building up the land of Israel. And I think that today, the uh, focus of our haters, our detractors, is twofold. One, the West Bank, Judea and Samaria. And the settlements, the Jewish nascent communities in these places. Uh, And the other one is delegitimization. And the effort to besmirch and darken the light of Israel. That is, that's because the counter of that is that we hold on to our land, live in our land, and be a light unto the nations. And that is exactly the effort that's being blocked today, or efforts that are are to try to block us. Uh, I am... As I stand in these Byzantine ruins, and Rabbi Beryl Wine has a great line where he says, "If, if, if in the past, if if the people of the past would know who's selling tickets to whose ruins, right? Uh, they'd be surprised in the sense that I'm standing in the ruins of of Byzantium, okay? Byzantine ruins, and I am here in an Israeli." Uh, a national park that is kind of selling tickets to see the Byzantine ruins, I think the Byzantines would have been very, very surprised since they were kind of standing on the ruins of Israel back then. I am standing in these ruins. I am fully fully confident that the God Almighty is doing such great things and he's bringing us back to our homeland and he's bringing Israel to be a light unto the nations and he's fulfilling his gigantic, ginormous, indescribably huge dream. But that doesn't mean that it's an easy escalator ride up to this moment quite the opposite it's filled with many pitfalls and many challenges and we still need to be Maccabees out there we need to have that kind of complete courage um, vision um, uh, of the ability to on the one hand assimilate what what we need to assimilate and on the other hand reject powerfully reject and revolt against people who want to curtail our sovereignty and, and our cultural autonomy we have to have those abilities as well it's tricky it's tricky out there and it's tricky there are many moral questions for example the incredible building of arabs all over the land of israel is a is a moral dilemma uh should they be here uh, should 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 they have the, those rights to build? They have their 22 countries, and we have our Jewish state. And there's a element of hostile takeover in in much of what they say, and in their uh, their many Arabs are succumbing to jihadist ideology. And if you just listen and read what they say, and it's and it's everywhere. It's in comment sections. It's in it's in it's on their websites. There is a great hostility to Israel. So therefore, the the population that is uh, taking root here is. Uh, uh, is, is, is stands against Israel and we have to be aware of that and, and you know we have to deal with that we have to accept that there's a big problem there and so on and so forth there are many many stages and steps and so all of us have to gird our loins uh, for, for the next years And we have to dedicate our lives to this battle and to be part of this battle for Israel. It is a battle out there, ladies and gentlemen. And the last few miles are the greatest battle of them all. So from these uh, beautiful ruins uh, here in the desert uh, of Shifta, uh, here in the Negev, I bid you blessings. I send you great blessings to uh, be the Maccabee. Be the Maccabee, right? Be the Maccabee. Be the Maccabee, that's probably the name of the show And I want to thank you, a lot of you have sent me Emails recently, I have read them all I have not read them out loud, but I have read them all Um, but it's been a little bit Busy uh, And I didn't want you to, I want you to know that I do Read your emails and I appreciate them, so please fire off An email to Yeshai at the land of I also want to thank the good folks in Hebron who hold on to the essential roots. That's where I work. That's my daily job. Uh, Job. (laughs) I wouldn't call it a job. I would call it uh, shlichut, an emissary work, uh, to work for the Jewish community of Hebron to defend our um, uh, essential roots. And kind of not a ruined city of Byzantium, but a living city of the Jewish people from 3,500 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, and yet again today. Um, So I want to thank you very much, uh, folks of Hebron, and please visit hebronfund.org to visit us uh, there. And I want to thank the True Blue Jew makers, T-E-K-H-E-L-E-T. Uh, for making uh, the restoration of uh, of one aspect of uh, the prophetic time the great times that we're living in the time of uh, the the resurrection of, of the Jewish people and so to the resurrection of the true blue Jew so check it out at trelet.com and I want to thank the Israel Bible for being a, a, a new Bible that you could really it's not a new Bible not don't, don't, a new translation a new translation it's a it's a it's a new translation of a very old document a very ancient document uh um, filled with incredible truths and especially with a focus on the land of Israel so check it out at the uh, theisraelbible.com the Bible.com. I also want to thank Tabitha, I want to thank Moshe and I want to thank Ben Bresky for getting this show out thank you guys, you guys really make it possible and I want to thank you for being the Maccabee so be the Maccabee, write me an email hashtag be the Maccabee right? and I send you blessings uh, from this uh... From this incredible desert and this this place where Abraham walked, he he walked back and forth in this Negev, and and his footsteps are still felt here and his footsteps, the Lech Lecha footsteps uh, to the land of Israel is calling all of us to be part of this great story God bless you folks wherever you are stay tuned, stay connected, stay part of the story keep those Hanukkah candles lit, lit bright, lit strong, don't let anything bring it down we've waited 2,000 years to relight the relights of Hanukkah in Jerusalem and you are doing it wherever you are, you are part of that light and there's many many forces out there that want to extinguish that light, we are rekindling, we are kindling brighter and brighter and brighter and nothing is going to stop this incredible light. God bless you folks wherever you are. Stay tuned, stay strong. And shalom.
1: Chanukah samer to all of our listeners. Let's keep our lights shining bright.
0: Happy Hanukkah from the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. Hi, this is Gil Hoffman, host of Inside Israel Today. Happy Hanukkah from Jerusalem. The few over the
1: many, righteous over wicked, the impure. At the hands of the pure, weak over the strong. Right over wrong We give thanks Of our victory with glad.